We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, everyone. It is Sophie, and you are stuck with just me for the intro this week because Jade is gallivanting around Japan with just her husband, child-free, living her best life, and I'm happy to report slowly but surely she is starting to feel a little bit better. I've got a little voice note from her that I'm going to play, and you can even just hear in her voice that she seems lighter, which makes me so, so happy. An update on my week. Unfortunately, I think that we have hit the four-month sleep regression, or I guess they like to call it progression, because we're moving forward and making developments. But when you're in it, it feels like a bloody regression with Pearl. It was funny listening back to this week's episode because it is all about the first three months. Nick and I sat down with Jade and she asked us all your questions about the fourth trimester and how it's been, how being a family of three has been, the hard parts, the good parts, are we really done, etc, etc. And when I was listening back to our answer on her sleep, I was like, yeah, you know, she's sleeping three hours at a time. She's not a unicorn, but we're getting by. Anyway, the past week or so, she has been up every 30 to 40 minutes. So what I would give right now to just get a three hour stretch. But anyway, it's shows you how quickly things can change with a newborn and with a baby and they just keep you on your toes and you take the good when you can and you try and let go of the bad when that happens too. But I can't even remember what we did with the four-month sleep regression with the other two. Like I definitely went through it with both of them, but it's a blur and I don't even remember how long it lasted or what we changed or anything like that is a work in progress and I'll keep you guys updated because I'm sure I'm not the only one who is up currently like six to eight times a night. So sending you love, coffee, wine, whatever in solidarity. And now I'm going to play for you Jade's little voice memo from Japan. Konnichiwa, beyond the bump. Yeah, that's all I've got for you. But holy goyoza, Japan has actually blown my mind. So far, we have karaoke'd until the early hours of the morning, travelled by rail to Kyoto, where the streets are cleaner than most of our lounge room floors. We've been to a temple and we're told our fortunes. Fortunately, I got good luck and unfortunately for Harry, he got no luck. But life is all about balance, I guess, and we are all in this together. We're back in Tokyo and went to Harajuku today. We played with the sea otters, nowhere near the sea, so not sure how that works, but everyone is just so friendly and patient. It's just the most beautiful country. 
Travelling without children has honestly been so good for our relationship. We haven't done this for years, obviously. When you have little ones, this isn't possible. But as they get older, and if you have someone reliable and willing, thank you to my beautiful mum, uh, it really brings you back to where you began. You really appreciate the little things and everything in between. We've got three more nights in Japan and then home to see our babies who currently are way too busy to FaceTime mum and dad. Uh, mentally, half of this trip I've been a walking zombie, but Harry has been so kind and caring. I've rested and he has taken control of logistics and I'm just starting to feel a little bit lighter, which I haven't felt for weeks and I can't tell you how good this feels. Um, my chest feels like it's dropped about 10 kilos. Big love to everyone at home and if you love my Instagram updates from Japan, thank you. And if you don't, then good on ya. I know I've just been away, so I can't be jealous, but I am jealous. She sounds like she's having the best time. Let us know if you would like me to sit down with Jade and do a little episode on what it's like to travel without kids. Cause I feel like as a new mum of three with a little bub, it seems like such a foreign concept and so far away, but I don't know. I feel like it would be interesting to chat with her about logistics and if she missed them or what she had to set up to go away. But yeah, let us know if you would like us to maybe do a bonus episode on that. Anyway, I hope you enjoy today's episode with Nick and I about the fourth trimester and Pearl's first 12 weeks slash three months. I feel so nervous. Well, Sophie and Nick, welcome back to Beyond the Bump. For anyone that doesn't know who the hell you guys are, what are you doing? Can you please introduce yourselves? Well, I'm Sophie, co-host of Beyond the Bump, mother of three. This is my husband, Nick, and we are here today to talk about the first 12 weeks slash three months of our third bub's life. And I'm really nervous. This feels like couples therapy and you're our therapist. Yeah, Not like because it. there's any issues, but I feel like we've been so busy. That, you know about. that I know about. That's the thing. <laughs> like we've been so we'll busy that a lot of these questions I feel like you're going to ask, we probably haven't had time to discuss so perfect what do you reckon yeah I'm saying great all right so let's just get straight into it what have you each found what have you done <laughs> what have you done what the fuck have you yeah. guys done you're like I told you guys not to have a third and you <laughs> went you and bloody well did now what have you each found the hardest transition zero to one one to two kids or two to three yeah I would say that this one has been the most challenging for me in the sense of like logistics, I think one to two, I would just say purely the hardest because it was just such a change to looking after Poppy. Like going from Poppy to Goldie was like the biggest shock, I think, because mm. yeah, it was just such a such a dramatic change from the life that we're living. The one thing I found this time is like the thing I've found the hardest is like knowing what you're signing up for. <laughs> Whereas I feel like previously it's like you just- you, Some it, ignorance is bliss. Yeah, the ignorance is a little bit bliss in a way, but it's sort of like you've got pulled a ping and on a hand grenade and you're just like whatever, mm. just dealing with it. Whereas this time I personally felt like I had the most anxiousness going into this one because I was like, we're already stretched. We know what this is going to take. Like this is what we're signing up for kind of thing. So I think a lot of like my um, what I've found hard is like dealing with that anxiousness of worrying what it's going to be like. And then some of those things probably 
you know, coming true and then some of them not being as bad as maybe what you think. And I love that you mentioned logistics because logistics is such a massive thing with having more than two kids. It is the juggle. And don't you reckon like you've got two hands, two kids, like it's kind of doable. And when you have that extra one, your whole world has to completely change because it's this constant juggle. And I think the hardest thing with that, it's like one of the biggest things I noticed is once when I took Poppy and Goldie somewhere for the, I can't remember what we did for the morning, but it was like to give Soph a bit of a rest was the idea. But then you come home with the two kids and she's like, I'm fucked. And I'm like, well, I'm fucked too. It's like, what what do we do now? Whereas previously, I feel like with the age gap, the girls were, we could do really well to give each other space. Whereas like, yeah, now it's like there's an, a, a higher level of like constant to it. Mm. So it's like trying to navigate that whilst having time for yourself or maybe letting go of the fact that they, that may not be realistic is kind of the hardest thing to let go of. So I agree with some things and then disagree with some other things. I have found this transition personally the easiest. Obviously, the transition from zero to one is always going to be massive because basically every aspect of your life changes. We were living a pretty like mellow life before having Poppy anyway, like going to bed early, you know. Wholesome, went to bed later once ho- we had it. Yeah, wholesome <laughs> things. It's not like we were like still in a party phase or anything. So as much as every aspect of my life changed, like I guess it didn't as well. But there's so many questions and you've, you overthink everything and everything is a conscious decision. So zero to one was obviously difficult. I agree that I think one to two was the hardest. And in hindsight, now that we've had a three-year age gap this time, I think that part of that was due to the age gap. I found that after having Goldie, I spent a lot of my time feeling very touched out. They were just less than two years apart. I felt like the wheels fell off really suddenly and really frequently. It took me a really long time to feel comfortable taking the two of them out by myself. I know that no part of motherhood do you feel in control, but I probably felt the least in control then. This time I agree that the juggle is the hardest part and the finding time for yourself and especially finding time for the two of us together is really hard and having a break is having one child rather than having three. And so I do think that logistically and juggle-wise this has been the hardest transition but I definitely don't think it's been overall the hardest transition and I think part of that is because my expectations were Mm. so low and I found being pregnant with two kids so difficult that this has at least been easier than being pregnant with two. But I'm also conscious of the fact that Nick did a lot of the parenting for the nine months leading up to me having Pearl. So he was probably burnt out before I'd even had her. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So have you guys found (laughs) any tips or anything that's working to try and find some time for, you know, obviously logistically it's tough and you can barely find a minute to breathe. Yeah. Is Have you found a balance yet 
And if you have, please tell me. (laughs) I wouldn't say it's a balance and I don't think that we, like, I feel like if if we even strive for a balance, like you're never going to reach that. Mm. But things that have definitely helped and this may not be possible for everyone, like we're conscious of that, but our two older girls go to daycare four days a week. That's been a huge difference. When we went from just having Poppy to having Goldie, I think Poppy went one day. So I don't really feel Mm. like I ever got one-on-one time with Goldie like I do now with Pearl because the girls are at daycare four days a week. Mind you, that doesn't make life easy because you still have to get them there. The other day I got home and it was 11 o'clock and I was like, how is it 11? I haven't eaten anything. I feel like I've had an entire day and I've dropped them off and I'm already thinking about when I have to go pick them back up Mm -hmm. again. But definitely having them in a substantial amount of care has helped. In terms of like finding time for ourselves, Nick goes to like a training group a few mornings a week and he goes to the 5am time slot Mm. because he's like this is the most convenient time for me to go for the family and then he tends to come home and then I'll go to a Pilates class. And I guess you've just got to say, yeah, for that hour, even if it's madness in the morning, I'll have all three so that you can have mm. an hour to in yourself. the first few months, there was a fair few times where I felt like I hadn't been to sleep. <laughs> like it'd be like 3.30 and I'm like, I have to wake up in an hour to go to training. And I I'm so well just awake. Stay up. I'll just but stay let's, awake. Let's talk but. about the 5am club because yeah. yesterday I got up at 5am for the dawn service and when we got home, it was 7 o'clock and we looked at each other and we are like, we have done so much. Yeah. We've been to the park, we've fed the kids, we've like cleaned the car out. Yeah. There is something about getting up early and I know that we're tired, we've got kids. The last thing you think of is let's get up early, like deliberately. But there is something about starting the day at 5 a.m. because you can get so much more out of it for you. Like do you agree getting up and going to do that? you feel like, oh, well, I've got enough time now to do the other stuff? Uh, Yes and no. I think it's like it depends on the night that you've had, I think, is a big thing. Like you don't want to involuntary be awake and feeling like, say, for example, if I in the early first few weeks or or however long it was, I would often take Pearl from, you know, four-ish or or that early morning when she was like catnapping and I'm fine with that because I'm pretty happy with getting up early. But it's really different being up at four with a newborn on you trying to get them to sleep rather than like voluntarily waking up at five and like totally for me editing a recipe or, or feeling like I'm getting ahead for the day. I really struggle as much as I love it. You know, I love the newborn cuddles and the overwhelming feeling of love and connection to Pearl, for example, is amazing. But I struggle feeling stagnant. Mm-hmm. So like let's say I've woken up with Pearl like four-ish giving her a cuddle, giving Sophie a break, then other kids wake up and I'm like holding Pearl, trying to put a show on for them. That for me creates like a lot of internal chaos, whereas the difference for me, even if I've had a shit night, if I go and like bust myself at training, it's a real circuit breaker and I feel like I'm so much more equipped to come back from that and take on whatever that chaos is, whereas I just find that if you've had a shit night then you're rolling into like just being stagnant yeah. and not doing anything. I personally find that not 
I don't feel like I'm part of the 5am club being yeah. productive. You know, I'm like, I'm stuck. Yeah. I'm fucking stuck. But I think that's how the postpartum <laughs> yeah. differs for so many people. You know, there's this move towards having a real confinement period for your first 40 days after having a bub. And that really works for some people. And that just doesn't, that's not really how I wanted to do postpartum and that's fine too. I wanted to get out and do things. I, I've i got this like fine line in the morning of if Nick's going to come and get Pearl, what time that is. Like if it's 4 a.m., I'm like, yep, sweet, get her. I can fall back to sleep, have another couple of hours sleep. If it's 5.30 and beyond, I almost have reached a point where even I'm like, five, yeah. even five-ish, I'm like, look, the sun's going to come out. Mm. I can't sit, lie, be in this bed any longer. I just need to get up and I actually feel better for that and I would rather almost come back if I can and have a lie down later in the day rather than stay in bed and it's this really it's like this really delicate dance of like 4am yep come get her 5 5 15 I maybe just want to get up yeah so what's your favorite part about having three kids Nick yeah, it's a hard question to answer like in terms of just favorite part, but I definitely even this morning I was just texting with a mate and um yeah, I definitely feel complete. And it's funny too cuz he mentioned like that's a weird thing to even say, but I think the feeling is like I know that like if so wanted to have another kid, I would feel very strongly about having discussions about that. I think for like both of our mental health for us being able to give energy to our other kids and most people listening to this, if they've been listening for a while, know that Soph doesn't enjoy pregnancy and then I personally found it really hard that change more so just because we are such a team. So, parenting together, I feel like we really balance each other out. But for a lot of that time, Soph was so sick. So, in terms of the favourite part of it, it's that I feel like we're kind of closing off a chapter. I need to get the snip ASAP. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I feel like we're closing off a chapter and sort of entering a new one, which is like, you know, life with our kids rather than breeding, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. so true because I was yeah. going to say that sounds so negative that your favourite part about it is that we're not doing it again. Yeah. But I get what you mean. You do move into a next chapter, I feel. Like yeah. mentally I'm moving into a new chapter knowing that this is the last time you know, I'm doing this. It means I feel like I can deal with the sleep, the constant touching, all of that better because I know I'm not doing it again. And I would say my favourite part of having three or of having my third is I'm super proud of the confidence that I now feel in my parenting and I feel like I've been able to enjoy this newborn period the most, even though it's probably been the most chaotic because I don't sweat the small stuff. You know, I don't have to consciously think about a lot of things, you know, like I'll chat to someone who's just had their first child and, of course, it's it's their first time they've ever had to look after a baby and they ask a question and I'll be like, oh, my gosh, yeah, I forgot that that was something that you would think about, not in a judgy way to them because, of course, you have to think about that. But I just feel like by this time it just comes a lot more naturally. Yeah. Mm. And so I feel like I'm able to enjoy the really good things and let go of the not as good things way easier because I'm not in my head. I'm just just doing Mm. it. I'll just say with that, like one of the biggest things I've noticed is like I think the amount that you've enjoyed it, like you said before, how sick you were during pregnancy, like the difference in so once you had the bub like pretty much straight away is like night and day in terms of energy and even like last night for example I was pretty wrecked 
but I was I feel like because of what we had been through with the pregnancy, I was always like in my head, oh, I have to do this because she's wrecked. But last night, Soph's like, oh, do you want me to get the kids ready for bed? And I was just like, fuck, that would be so yeah, good, you know. appreciate um, it. And I just did like the dishwasher and that, which, yeah, such a nice rest. But no, um, <laughs> but, no lucky it, thing it was, you. Um, yeah, no, it was just really nice. Like, yeah, just seeing that energy in her, even though that she's looking after Pearl as well. But that, that was a, that's been a really huge shift, I think. Yeah. For us as like a you know team yeah team yeah. Mm. now what was harder the first 12 weeks of pregnancy with pearl or the first 12 weeks having a newborn not even comparable the first 12 yeah. weeks of pregnancy were some of the worst three months of my life and it is amazing that i can look at her now like of course she's worth it but that's truly amazing because it was fucking shit so if someone can be worth it they must be pretty good but yeah I look at her now and I just tear up because I'm like how can something so good have felt so bad (laughs) so yeah that's not even a question I was a shell for the first well not just the first 12 weeks but especially the first 12 weeks so yeah such a long time, isn't it? Yeah. And you just sort of like- Well, no, this 12 weeks has felt really short, whereas yeah. the first 12 yeah. weeks of pregnancy, pregnancy, even though you don't find out until you're four weeks, it's like there's already four weeks gone by the time you find out, but that felt like forever, whereas this 12 weeks has gone so fast. But I think it's because mentally you're enjoying it more, so it does, it just it seems faster and it's like, okay, I'm enjoying all of yeah. this. When you're feeling down and you're feeling slow and you feel like what's going on, yeah. It feels like not just nine months. It feels like bloody nine years yeah. when you're in it. So yeah. it's- I think too because Pearl was a surprise. It like hit pretty hard and heavy like yeah. straight up. And I remember that we had a trip booked to Fiji and like that was – it was like – once we got to that, that was like a huge kind of milestone. I don't know how many weeks you were. Once I was about we- 16 weeks. That was the best week of yeah. my pregnancy. We should have just moved yeah. there for yeah. the whole nine <laughs> months. But yeah, it was like prior to that, I remember like that was the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, most of the time you'd kind of go to bed. It was kind of like I didn't have a partner. For most- it's like <laughs> no, solo no, parenting. No, seriously. But not only that, it's also like you feel empathetic towards them, but you can't really do anything. Mm. And that's what I found really hard was that, you know, even so if we'd like want to have a cuddle and stuff. But when you're trying to, you know, I was getting the kids to bed and then going back downstairs and cleaning up and doing all that stuff too. But then it's like I'm so wrecked that your capacity to But also- even if you had the energy, when someone's going through that, that actually is quite little that you can do. Yeah. Like we'd have friends come over and I'd be like chucking my guts up in the bathroom yeah. and they'd be like to Nick like, do you need to go help her? And he's like, She's fine. Like, but I she's think the got difference this. probably for you, like in terms of your experience with that as well, was like when you had Poppy, I would say you were as sick, but I didn't, you know, I could rub you back for an hour. And yeah. Like, you know, like yeah. it was, I had so much more to give to you, whereas I was just like, I have to yeah. look yeah. after these guys. Yeah, you know? totally. And how is Pearl's postpartum compared to the other two? I don't want to jinx things, but she's a pretty cruisy. Is there any wood in there? Yeah, there's lots of wood. There's heaps of timber. Yeah, yeah. Touch it. I mean, I don't. Th- I don't think that any of our babies have been challenging babies. That's not to say that the there hasn't been difficulties in the postpartum periods. But I wouldn't like. I've never thought any of them have had colic or anything like that. I think she's what you call a happy chucker, especially at the start. She mm. used to spew a lot, which was inconvenient because the 
amount of washing that Mm. there was was just out of this world. But like Poppy, she was also a happy chucker. It means that they get wind up so easily that they're actually like, you know, I don't want to do broad strokes, but I've found with the two of them compared to Goldie, they're very settled because they never are gassy or anything. Whereas Goldie's been our only baby who's had that really stereotypical witching hour Mm. slash witching hours. And I do put some of that down to the fact that maybe we weren't burping her enough or she wasn't burping enough because we weren't used oh and look there was COVID lockdown so she was probably bored as fuck but um yeah it's so and actually that's been one of the biggest differences is that we've been able to do so much more with Pearl Mm -hmm. this time because after Goldie she was born in January of 2020. So I think about six or seven weeks after she was born, we went into lockdown. So we've been able to see family a lot more. We've been able to do heaps more and I guess just enjoy her out and about a lot more, which when you've got two older kids is such a blessing because yeah. they can be busy and be worn out. Yeah, totally. I think for you too, the transition is just the fact that you enjoy this stage more. So you tend to deal with this stage quite well whereas I know for me I've said to Soph before I'm like I don't go back to sleep very easily so like in the early first sort of eight weeks I would find it really hard if Soph would like feed her and say just can you settle her because I know if I settle her I find it really hard to go back to sleep Mm. if I'm awake at 3.30 generally like I'm kind of up so early on I felt like I was trying to help a lot but at some point I remember saying I was like well I think that is actually a hormonal thing of breastfeeding is that it has a calming effect on you so that when you're feeding overnight, it's easy to go back to sleep. And so I have no issue. Like I had a bit of insomnia when I was pregnant and would find it so hard to get back to sleep. Whereas this time I'm like the minute she's back in her bassinet, I'm basically like lights out. (laughs) (laughs) No, not really. But um, yeah, I remember because we had a conversation quite early on too that it's like because you needed some help overnight, but I was putting the kids to bed. And I remember saying, I was like, you remember that if you had the kids by yourself for a weekend or whatever. Yeah, that was probably our biggest blow up, actually. We both, I'm sure there's a question about like, what have you found the hardest in your relationship? But our biggest blow up to this point was, I think both of us had our blinkers on in terms of what we were doing and what our hard was. And we'd forgotten to look at like what the other person Mm. was doing. So I was very much like... Pearl's been really difficult today. You haven't been there for me. But forgetting that Nick in those really early days was like solo parenting the older two. And look, after some tears and a little bit of yelling, Nick reminded me, he's like, if you were like day in, day out, and I know this is a lot of people's reality, but day in, day out, putting the older two girls to bed on your own, like doing the bed, bath, dinner, da-da-da routine on your own, night in, night out, you would be tired too. Like, you know, only 12 weeks ago, they were the only two children we had. And if you were expected to do everything with them all day, all night, like you would be cooked. And I'd kind of forgotten to see that because I was like newborn, so hard, so demanding, needs me all the time. But I forgot that there were other two other children that were getting parented, if that makes sense. So I think that was, I think it can be in any point in your parenthood so easy to see your own hard and forget to look at what someone else is doing. And I think it's always important to be like, oh, but wait, what are they, what are they doing? the catalyst for that conversation too is that like 
I would go to often fall asleep with the girls and then you'd want me to come back in to the bedroom after. But I was like, I kind (laughs) of have to go to sleep now if you want any help. Like if I'm going to do that five o'clock or four o'clock wake up with Pearl, if I say get the girls to sleep at 7.38, you know, sometimes later if they're playing up and then I fall asleep, wake back up at whatever time it is, come back into the bed with you, Pearl's waking up while you're feeding (laughs) it. You just feel like you're so Can I ask a question? How do a lot of people that don't communicate very well with each other and you guys seem to do a very good job of it, how do you go about, Sophie, asking Nick for help? Because I find that a lot of women and mothers yeah. do it all yeah. and they it's like they instinctively think that it's their job to do, but obviously yeah. times are changing and we're working and there's different times of work and, you know, it's all, it's all changing. How do you ask Nick for help? Like how do you say to him, hey, I need you to do these feeds at night without, like for me personally, I just never asked. Yeah. Well, look, sometimes I do it well and then that example was a time that I didn't do it so well and I expected him to read my mind and I was, you know, just looking at the things that I was finding difficult and then I waited for him to come through the door and I yelled at him and started crying. And unfortunately, the most frustrating thing is Nick is so good at conflict resolution. I'm not as good at him as him. So I will have all these dot points in my head of mm. all the things I want to change and the things he's not doing good enough. Da, 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 da. He walks through the door and the list goes out of my mind. I forget what my <laughs> dot points are. And he tells me his dot points back. And then I'm just sitting there bamboozled like, what was the, the problem again? And then I'm like, oh, I had valid points. I just can't remember them right now. Anyway, so it's probably best that I get them out there before I get to that point because that's not very productive for me. But look, I mean, I'm lucky in the fact that I know that if I have a problem, Nick's going to listen. Like there might not be an easy solution or maybe he isn't able to step up to do the thing I'm asking, but at least I know that I'm going to be in some way heard. And I think if you started off with like, I'm finding this part really difficult because then surely if it's someone who loves you, they're going to listen to the rest of it. But if you just launch into it like you need to do more of this or you need to be better at that or why aren't you doing this, if you just started off with, you know, the reason why and why that would improve things for you and hopefully then a flow on for them and the rest of your family, then surely, you know, like that's not good if they're not going to listen to that. Absolutely. And obviously going into it with a way that you think the situation could be improved, but they might have their own way of how the situation could be improved. But I feel like if you go into it with some kind of solution, well, you know, I would hope that you're listened to. I just find it interesting because every time I ask Harry for something, he will do it. Like if I need him to come home or I need him to do the girls' school lunches or I need him to do anything, he will always do it. But I find it incredibly hard to ask for help. Mm. It's like I don't want to disappoint or make other people have to do things if I can do them. Yeah, but he's the other parent. Exactly. But it's more of the, the fact that it's like, oh, I would hate to burden people. Like I would hate to burden him 
it's like I wish almost people read my mind to go. And that's the only time that we have issues is when one of us is expecting the other person to read their mind or you get this whole thing. It's like if they really cared about me, I wouldn't have to ask. No, you know, it's you, it's like yeah. it's like when you're waiting for a birthday a present spiral. and it's yeah. like if they really knew me, they would know exactly the birthday present I want. And then, of course, you're left disappointed on your birthday because they didn't read your mind and get you the birthday present you wanted. I think it's the exact same thing. Thing. And sometimes it doesn't mean they love you more or less if you have to actually ask for that help. Absolutely. Yeah. The biggest thing I think throughout this period is communication. And I think like, well, or at least what I have observed in other couples is that there's different layers of like where people are at at stages, but communication's like, you know, it's a skill that needs to be practiced. And if you don't practice it or haven't started practicing it, then it can be really daunting because like from what you were saying, Jade, I think like there's a big thing of mums in particular that if they're in a more traditional relationship where maybe the husband works and they're, they've taken time off to look after the kids, that that's, you know, their job essentially. And, and a lot of their sense of pride is in being able to do everything, mm. you know. Mm. So like asking for help is a sign of failure for the job or whatever it is that they've taken on. But the reality is it's fucking hard. And that if you do- And it's not- nine to five Monday to Friday. No, it's no. it's twenty four seven and it's the monotony and the marathon of it that is what, you know, slowly chips away at, yeah. at, at it. And mm. I think for people like one thing is to, you know, look in the mirror and decide like, okay, am I am I at the point where I'm worried that this is me failing and I do need some help? Am I not asking for it because of my pride? You need to put mm. that aside. That rhymes. It does. We'll note that but, down. Uh, note that down, yeah. <laughs> um, but also then the other thing is I think people worrying to ask for help because they're worried how their partner will react and that's just having like a good foundation for communication. That's something that I feel like, you know, when I was younger, I would find hard because I feel like Soph communicates a little bit differently and, and she's generally more reactive than what I would be. So sometimes I'd feel like, oh, I don't want to, you know, say this thing because I'm worried how she'll react or I don't want to ask this. So, like, often what will happen is those feelings will build up and then it will come out in other ways, you know, and you'll get really pissed off and it's almost like you've got this list of things that you haven't brought up. And then you snap at something really silly and it's like, oh, my God, that was so over the top, but it actually had nothing to do. Yeah. 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 So, like, I think in this stage in particular, the number one thing rolling into with three kids was, like, us practicing communication. I feel like... You know, I'm not saying you sit down for an hour and debrief and go like, you know, let me know how you're going. <laughs> but it would just if be there's like, anything the pregnancy was good for, it was bloody good for me practicing how to ask for help because yeah. I had no choice. Yeah, but it would be like a thing of you know, we'd be getting into nighttime, so it's like, hey, I'm really feeling really cooked tonight. Do you mind if I just go up to bed with Pearl? Mm. And just little examples like that, whereas like my expectations for her not to like hang around or. Whatever, and the same with Soph. She's like, "Can I? Can you come in for a cuddle tonight?" And I'll be like, "Oh, look, I, I do have to get up at training in the morning. I'm going to set my alarm four thirty. That's really important to me. So, like, you know, totally. there's a chance I'll probably fall asleep. And and just having that like little bits of communication. It's almost like extended communication, though. It's yeah. not yes and no. It's explaining so someone actually genuinely understands where it's coming from. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. I'm already, I'm learning things. We're, we're changing this title. It's how to practice communication. <laughs> <laughs> it's called communication. Fuck Pearl, we don't need to talk yeah. about her. <laughs> All right, so go, getting back to Pearl. 
Or maybe back to you guys again. How do you find time together amongst the chaos? I think that would be one of the biggest changes this time. I feel like it was the same when we went one to two, like it took some time to find those pockets of time. Hmm. And I think that was one of the things that when I got pregnant, we both all of a sudden realised, wow, even though our kids were only four and a half and two and a half, they were at a stage where we felt comfortable leaving them with a babysitter so we could go you know, have time or or they could play independently together and we could have some time. And then I think we really realised, oh, gosh, we're like about to start again and are going to have to, you know, as you say, find a whole new normal again. But, yeah, I don't think we've found that rhythm completely yet, but I also don't think the first 12 weeks needs to be the time that you uh, oh, many date nights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that, yeah. And that's just that's yeah. just like I I'm not disappointed that we didn't find more time for ourselves. I knew that it was going to be like that. I knew we were going to have to divide and conquer because there was no point of both of us doing it all all the time because there's no way we would have got through it. So uh, yeah, I feel like I had the expectation that we were going to divide and conquer. That's what we've done. We haven't had heaps of time for the two of us, but I think that as time goes on, we'll start to realise. I feel like we've more been prioritising time for ourselves as individuals, Mm. more so than us together, but I think that that's what we've felt has been more important Mm. and more of a priority in those first 12 weeks to get through it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, it depends on your own personal priorities. Like, I personally feel like I need a fair bit of time for myself and that feels like a higher priority for me to be able to like have the energy to give back to the family and I think yeah. I think it's sort of the same for Soph now that she's starting to get back into training and feeling good um, moving and stuff again where we've been making time for that and I think selfishly that should come higher because if you feel good in yourself then that time together can come afterwards whereas like if you feel like you've been we've done this before actually where you're sort of like on the uh, merry-go-round of parenting and then you book a date night and go out for a fancy dinner. Oh, yeah. And it's just too much pressure on yeah. it. And it feels like the last thing I feel like doing right now is having a degas station and getting <laughs> totally. and drinking wine. I'm totally. like, I'd prefer to lie on a pillow and someone pat my back for an yeah. hour, you know? Like, yeah. So, yeah, I think there's this like stereotypical thing of date nights and, and all of that. But right now, like neither of us want to stay up any longer than we have to. So... Like, um, I would rather Nick turn to me and said, hey, let's take Pearl over to the beach. Like, you know, if Poppy and Goldie are somewhere and we have free time, I would rather him say, hey, do you want to wander over to the beach and have a swim? If he turned around and was like, I've booked a babysitter and we're going to this place, like that, that would probably give me a little bit of anxiety and I'd be like, what am I going to sit there and talk to I, him about yeah. <laughs> because I don't really have anything new to update him on yeah. and, and then that would home. go around and around in my head. So what do you each do just for yourselves each day? So for you first. Um, well, not each day, but I've been trying to do Pilates two to three times a week. For myself, if I'm noticing there's like a lull and everything seems to be under control, I'll just say to Nick, like sometimes in the evening, can I just get out of the nighttime thing, Pearl's already down, can I just go to bed now? And I generally lie there and read my book. I kind of make showering and like doing my skincare a non-negotiable. Like I'll put Pearl in the bouncer and I'm not going to let her, like, you know, the shower might be literally two minutes, Mm. but the difference it makes on my day is massive. 
just little things like that, but they make the world of difference. Mm. What, what you- about you, Nick? Yeah, I train Monday and Wednesday at 5 a.m. It's just like a really nice local group. A guy, Jared, runs it. There's a big focus on mental health and it's half sort of strength cardio training, half you know, just looking after your body, stretching and and all that kind of stuff. So that's actually been an amazing thing for me because it's such a positive group of guys that if I hadn't, if I didn't have that locked in, there's no way I'd be getting up at five and going for a run or whatever. And I find particularly the days when I'm feeling really cooked, like I didn't really want to go this morning energy-wise, but I felt I went and it was amazing and you feed off everyone else's energy and and that's been awesome. And then, yeah, I try to surf and stuff in and around it, but definitely we don't have the same sort of freedom that we did. No, you haven't been yeah, fishing quite as nah, much. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Top tips for preparing your older kids for having a new baby. Was there preparation? To be honest, I feel like I put a lot of pressure on myself when I was pregnant with Goldie to get Poppy ready for a new sibling and I was, you know, I was reading her books about a new baby coming and, you know, like I would ask people like, is it best to be holding the baby mm. when the toddler comes in? And I think that let go of the pressure if you can because even if they don't vibe off the baby on the first meeting, like they're, stuck they're sticking the around <laughs> like, you know, and there's always going to be periods of jealousy and there's always going to, I'm sure there's other periods where they're going to love them but I think that, after giving birth, you have been through enough. You don't also have to put the pressure on like, oh, my God, if my child doesn't like the baby, it's because the baby didn't buy the child a present or the baby didn't buy the child the right present or, you know, like there's enough time to make up for it and they're going to make up their own opinion on whether they like this new addition or not. I definitely think the understanding of a baby coming was easier this time because Goldie was a whole year older than Poppy was when Goldie mm. was born. And I think the fact that they had each other too was obviously a big thing. And at the end of the day, we just have to remember like little kids are inherently selfish and self-centered and we can think that we can control how they're going to feel about a situation, but we probably can't. And I think just let go of some of that pressure. Yeah. So how did you handle visitors in the newborn days and did you have like any set boundaries with family members or did you let everyone just come whenever they felt like? What are visitors? (laughs) (laughs) We are very lucky that our families have somewhere that they can stay when they come up here that is not in our home. So if they want to stay for an extended amount of time, it's really helpful without being in our space. Totally. So I don't think that we could have had help as long as we had it if it was like in a room next to ours. No Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I will preface it with that. We didn't have that many visitors this time. We only really had our, like my mum came up for a while and Nick's parents were up for a while and they were our main source of help. We got used to doing it without many visitors, I think, because we had Goldie during COVID. So, like, we had heaps of visitors after Poppy. And I think that's pretty standard with your first child. You want to show them off. But we didn't really have that many visitors. We just took it really slow. We were like, there's no rush to have people meeting her. I feel like a lot of people still haven't met her. But um, <laughs> so we had Pearl and John Flynn, and we knew going into it that you have the option to stay there for five days. So we tried to. Yeah, make sure that we had the support up here so that we could 
do that and enjoy it and not feel like the girls are being put out and they love staying with the grandparents and that was a really exciting for them coming in each time visiting and all those things. So I feel like we played that really well in the sense that we didn't want heaps of people coming in to see her. We had a lot of time to connect but also to recharge as much as we could and then we just took it as we could coming home. We know that, you know, the adrenaline and everything starts to wear off and the reality sets in. So I feel like this time around was probably the, the most biggest realistic. help. And obviously Nick likes cooking, so we didn't need the help with food as much. Although if I hadn't have had Nick cooking, I would have been begging other people for food because yeah. there was just no way that I would have been able to prepare, you know, plan et cetera, et cetera, food. I would say the like most practical ways you can ask for help and the things that made the biggest difference to us was asking someone else if they can do the daycare drop-off or pick-up. Nick's mum did that heaps yeah. and really enjoyed it and then would maybe like take the girls for an ice cream or a play at the park on the way home. Yeah, and the kids felt really special while you know, it wasn't taking a big chunk out of one of us having to go. And it meant that like if Nick was home, he could start, you know, getting dinner ready, mm. that kind of thing. Another thing that was really helpful is a couple of times we would send through to one of our mums, like, can you go to the supermarket for us and get this, this and this? So even though we Nick was cooking the food for our family, it's not like he was worrying about the supermarket shop or the daycare pickup and that kind of thing. That was really helpful. That was amazing, yeah. And I think people like loved ones love to know like if if you're actually hitting them with, hey, can you help me do this? And there's a list. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it's so nice to just know what someone wants. And it for meant sure. that instead of me having to ask for a visitor to come over so that they could hold my baby so that I could have a shower, it meant Nick could be home. Yeah. And the three of us could be spending those really early days together without him having to be dragged here, there and everywhere because obviously when the girls were home, they were like Nick's. <laughs> And so it meant that he actually got to, you know, have some time with Pearl. It meant that I got to, you know, maybe go and have a nap while he had her or whatever. It was really nice. So it's almost like you was you, you had some boundaries up of having the help, but they weren't in your face. They yeah. were actually helping on an outsider's. Yeah. Obviously they were having cuddles here and there, but they were doing a lot of the jobs to make you guys have that yeah. nor- new normality. Or even mum would be around in the evenings and even if Nick did, cook because that's what he enjoys and likes to do she would be like okay either I can take the kids up and give them a bath or you two take them up and give them a bath and I'll clean the kitchen Mm. so it was just like we could spend quality time together without worrying so much about the other mundane Mm. things and that simple tasks that people are happy to do if you just ask for them they just may not think of doing them totally now how is Pearl's sleep at 12 weeks and is she on a routine? She is not on a routine but I do find in the past maybe three weeks or so she's kind of fallen into a bit of a rhythm Mm. during the day. She'll have a nap, wake up, she generally feeds straight away, she'll have an hour to an hour and a half awake and then she'll sleep again. But the sleep's not always the same length. You know, it's I'm, I'm, I don't know what she's going to be doing at four o'clock this afternoon. Mm. It's more so just it means that I can kind of plan car trips and things like that a bit easier because I'll be like, sweet, she's woken up from a now nap. Now we can. <laughs> now we can. She hated the car at the start, but she's getting a bit better. But, but you know, I, I at least know that 
if she's wake, woken up from a nap and had a feed, okay, cool, she's going to be awake for the next hour and a half. You know, you can just kind of plan the next hour better, maybe not the next day. At night, look, she's not atrocious and she's not a unicorn. She's 12 weeks and she still doesn't sleep much longer than three hours at a time. I'm not stressed about it. I think it's pretty normal. Would I love her to be having eight-hour sleeps like some other babies are? Sure, but that's just not our reality right now. And she tends to settle. She's she's in the past like week or so started settling a bit easier in the middle of the night. She did go through a phase where from 4 a.m. onwards she would kind of start being in a bit more of a light sleep, spit her dummy out more, kind of grunt, and that was when often I would hand her over to Nick because I'd be like, I can't sleep no. next to her. Yeah, it makes you more tired. Yeah. If you hadn't. Yeah. But I think that maybe she was a little bit cold. I've started dressing her in an extra layer and she seems to be sleeping a bit better for the first I think if you're in those early stages and you're really stressed out about contact napping for Pearl's pretty much first nine weeks, all she wanted to do was contact nap. She would cat nap if I put her down in the bassinet, but she's just started kind of sleeping slightly longer stretches in the bassinet during the day. And yeah, I just think that whatever's working for you in terms of newborn sleep, go with it. Don't stress about this habit or that habit, just lap it up and you know, they they will one day they will start to sleep. Yeah, I think too, it's like you can let the sleep routine dictate what you do, or you can like we have been we've actually travelled a fair bit already for um Sorry. Still- <laughs> <laughs> it kills me, eh? Your hand kills me, I know, my lips I was just like, you. <laughs> I just keep getting distracted from what I'm saying. <laughs> oh God. Um <laughs> For those listening, Nick has an issue because apparently when he talks, I stare at him and I kind of mime with she my does it to lips. Me too, but she I'm used tries to, it to now. say what I'm saying. Stare at the screen next time. You gotta I'm do saying, this, Nick. Oh, it's I'll tricky, wear a yeah. muzzle next time. All right. So with the sleep routine, I think to obviously being our third, we know there's different ways that you can approach it. We really wanted to continue with our way of life and travel we're both flexible and can work from home so the beauty being able to still do the things that we want would also mean that probably she's not as settled as maybe she would be if we just stayed home and tried to get a nap in her bassinet Mm. but these are the things that we want to do we want to have fun life and do some adventure stuff and that's been really exciting for the girls we spent some time down in Gippsland and spent some time in Melbourne different cots, different climates, these things are all going to like throw spanners in the works. So in a lot of the ways we stitch ourselves up with it, but I think we're both willing to kind of like take the good and the bad with that for the sake of having a good time. And if it gets to the point, you know, that we're at our wits end in terms of sleep, then we will look at other options. But I'm all about if it's not broken, don't fix it. You know, people are already messaging me going, oh, aren't you worried about having to wean her off the dummy? And it's like Goldie started with a dummy and then when it wasn't working for us anymore, we got rid of it and we just dealt with it at the time. Like everything's fine right now, so we're just going to leave it as it is. And if we get to a point that it's not fine, then we'll deal with it then. I just think there needs to be, you know, I already had people when she was so young being like, like I remember my mum even hinted kind of, so if you've got to put her down in the bassinet if you wanted a nap there. And I'm like, she's six weeks old. If she wants yeah. to have a nap on me, she can. This yeah. is beautiful. And it like was so like you literally put her in and it was like. Eyes wide awake. Yeah, and it was so obvious. Whereas now she doesn't, it's not to the same level and mm. it's like kind of more guided by her. So 
yeah, you just kind of go with the rhythms of them. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. What are the sleeping arrangements and what does bedtime look like in your house with three kids? So it's changed a bit recently, but it started off definitely at the start. Pearl was my responsibility to get to bed. Poppy and Goldie were Nick's responsibility to get to bed. As longtime listeners will know, the girls had taken over our bedroom. So Nick and the two girls were sleeping in our bed and I moved into the spare room with Pearl. And I love that you call it a spare room. It's like her room, isn't it? Well, there's literally a bed and a bassinet. She doesn't, that's as far as her nursery goes, which worked well because it meant I wasn't woken up by the other two girls overnight. Nick wasn't woken up by Pearl. But in saying that, if I was having a really tough night, there was a few times, there was lots of times that I would go and get Nick and be like, hey, I just need to go back to sleep. Can you do like the midnight settle? Or I'd go get him at 4am and I'd be like, oh my gosh, she's wide awake, but I've barely slept. Can you have her? and that worked after we were in Melbourne over Easter the girls had slept in so many together but in so many different beds while we were there we said to them when we were coming back hey you've shown you can sleep in beds other than mum and dad's why don't you try and sleep in your room when we get back and they were like okay And it was weird because we've been thinking about, you know, it's been years that they've been trying to take over our bed. And then all of a sudden it was really easy. And Nick still lies down with them to go to sleep and often will fall asleep with them in there and come in to, you know, I'm back in our bedroom now and come back in and be with me in there and then sometimes he's woken up again and goes back to them. Most times Goldie's the one waking up at the moment, like once a night just wants a cuddle to go back to sleep and that can sometimes just be going and give her a pat or other times it's like she'll wake up if I move. But but I remember before having three, I was like how would anyone do it on their own? And at the start I had those thoughts. I was like how how will – if Nick's away or Nick's out or – whatever, how will I ever do this on my own? And all of a sudden you kind of like come into this clearing and it makes sense. Like Pearl definitely now goes down for her first portion of the night much earlier than Mm. the older two. So I can see how it would happen. Like I would put Mm. her down. I would hope that she didn't wake and then I could lie down with the other two and, you know, go to sleep with them. And I think lots of people are like, how would you do bath time with three? And we've got a bath support that you, mm. you put in the bath and Pearl can lay in that. And, al- and also another thing, your kids don't constantly have to be bathed. Yeah. If you have to miss a bath, miss a bath. I think we put so much pressure on ourselves about that nighttime routine. If it's too hard to, for you every now and again, don't do it. Pearl's been bathed about six times in her life. <laughs> I, I look at Yumi's hair and it's like a matted mess and I'm like, that's a too hard basket yeah. job. We'll leave Tomorrow. That. Today's been yeah. too hard. And it's one of those fights when they dig their heels in and don't want to do it. It's just not worth no, fighting. I'm it's not going like, to fight it. No. No way. No, if you want to be in your own filth, be in your own yeah. filth. Yeah. Let's go. Get out of my bed. <laughs> now, top tips for sleep deprivation and how to remain optimistic during the newborn haze. Know that it will end. And obviously that's easier to say the third time because – I've been through it twice before with my first, that was definitely the hardest because I was like, what have I signed up for? Is this my next 18 years? And also with the third, I think I'm so used to interrupted sleep. Like even when your kids sleep well, as a parent, you very rarely expect to go to bed 
and wake up the next morning and there have not been any demands of you overnight. So I feel like you Mm. just, you in some ways do get used to it. Other tips would be, I mean, I've said this so many times, but in the early days, I like to get up when I feed and go to the couch and watch a show so that I'm properly awake and then I'm properly asleep when I'm asleep. I actually, you know, if you've got the space for it and you can sleep in separate beds, I know it's contentious, but I actually preferred to know that I could just call on Nick when I really needed him rather than both of us being disrupted all night, every night, and then him being cooked all the time so that when I really needed him, he was already too cooked anyway. So I quite like that. If you've got the space for it, I know that's not a reality for everyone. Just knowing that the sun's going to come up in the morning and you'll feel a bit better in the morning, having a shower, drinking coffee, doing your skincare, resting when you can, not pressuring yourself to nap. I'm not a napper and I almost found that people constantly being like, oh, we'll have a nap today when the baby naps was too much because I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be able to fall asleep. You know, what's that going to look like in the evening? Will I be so tired? But just lying down and reading my Kindle was the equivalent of a nap for me. How do you deal with sleep deprivation? Yeah, I would say for me, the coffee. Not as well. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not as well. Um, Yeah, I love sleep. and But for me, it's like the thing that I really struggle with is like if you give me a singular task to do and you're like, I need you to you know, do this marathon or this thing. I feel like I'm really good at mentally pushing through one task, but I'm definitely not good at doing like multiple. You're um, a man. Yeah, I'm a man. But (laughs) but as in for me, the thing that I really struggle with is if you said to me like you have to stay awake all night and look after Pearl, I'll go, yeah, no worries. But like I'm not looking past that if if Mm. that makes sense. And what I have found every time I repeat this when, when we've had one of the girls is that, it's like I go into like this endurance mode where I'm like, I will just push on, you know, and get through this. And part of that sometimes comes down to not communicating things like, you know, I am stuffed. I'll, in the morning I'll wake up and I'll have like three cups of coffees and go, we need to push on, you know. Yeah. Um, but this time around I've actually found coffee has made me super anxious. Mm. And I think it is just that sleep deprivation. So like already sleep deprived, having coffee, which is not really – you know, touching the sides and giving me the energy that I'm kind of like looking for. (laughs) Um, And it has just made me really anxious. And what I found was I was having three cups of coffee, most of them like the equivalent of a double shot, so six shots to sort of get me going again. And then I just remember one day then trying to go to sleep, I was anxious about nighttime, feeling like a starting night shift or something Mm. and then jumping between beds. And I just remember like that was the time when we had to have that chat where I was like, look, I, you know, I want to come in and give you a hand, but we need to kind of really divide and conquer. Mm. I was also like have enough self-awareness just to know that I was like causing myself anxiety with the <laughs> coffee. So I dropped back to having... The, the drug use was actually, a little yeah, out of well, what was What worked really well for me was I'd have two decafs, just single shot. Yeah. Or like crazy weak, like the tiniest little bit of coffee, just so I was doing the same thing. And after training, the boys have a coffee and I love just having quick catch-up. So I'd have a decaf there, then come home and and then have maybe one caffeinated yeah. coffee. And I've been doing that since and I feel so much better for it. I realized how much, yeah, I was doing that to myself. Now, are you sure you won't have another? Someone said, I don't want another, but also don't feel dumb. I feel very, very blessed. And this was my fear. So I knew I wanted three. I was like, I'm going to be done at three. 
But there was this tiny voice inside of me because I love the newborn period Mm. that I was like, am I ever going to actually feel done? I am so happy to say I feel complete. I feel done. Pearl has literally just fit into the family and it's like she was always meant to be here. Like it's gone so fast but it's also so cliché that I can't imagine a world without her. Yeah. And I am done. And I, as Nick said, I'm really excited for this next stage of life. And I think it's not until I reflect on it the toll of having three hyperemesis pregnancies yeah. or three pregnancies full stop in the space of like just over five years is a lot. And I'm ready for that to be behind me and it is behind me now. And I think that is why I am enjoying this phase so much because mm. I'm like, all right, cool, what's next? Bring it on. Any what more? about you, Nick? thousand percent, yeah. Yeah. I just a thousand percent there's more. No, no, no. A thousand percent there's no more. <laughs> um, no, I think, yeah, Sophie hit the nail on the head. There's having a kid and loving them, it just takes a certain amount of energy and like <laughs> the, same with, the same just with the, you know, the pregnancy and yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't go through it again. But yeah. how do people, like I know obviously people have more than two, three kids, but it would be hard to obviously have that yearning of loving pregnancy so much or loving the newborn hey so much. But there has to come to a point where you're like, I can't keep doing that and yeah. have X amount of kids. Well, I think that some people feel done and then other people have to make a logical decision about being like, I don't feel done, but I need to stop. Yeah, or financially. And maybe that's the, yeah, totally, and finances too, and that's maybe the blessing of hating pregnancy so much <laughs> is that I'm just like, I cannot do that again. I just mm. cannot. We went through a loaf of sourdough this morning. Pearl doesn't even eat yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, like what you were saying then, it's like there's so many realities to having a kid like love is great you know (laughs) but there are so many realities and that's what i like if you just do a quick you know like train of thought in your head as to for us now what having another kid would do that does give me severe anxiety because i'm like a lot of things i love doing are you know take time and and are away and also for us as wanting to build out building careers in things that we love doing that are creative and take time we're already finding it hard to Mm. create the time to do those to the degree that you want and the same for me as a parent like I feel like I can see how I can divide my time between these kids in the way that Mm. I would like to parent but I I, even the thought of having another one and then school I feel like I'm really patient and like to spend time with the girls one-on-one I feel would yeah, I just struggle to see. I think we've got the biggest car yeah. on the market, and there's it's it's filled Still to the small. brims right now, yeah. as in without going into van territory. So the thought of having another one is like new car, probably being able to visit our family interstate like twice a year, maybe because yeah. even domestic flights now are so expensive. You know, we love traveling, and I just cannot imagine that with any more children and just you know little little things like that that are you know silly but they're the reality of yeah we went through a loaf of sourdough this morning we've only got two kids that eat and how expensive (laughs) sourdough yeah Yeah, seriously but like even harry and i like we think we're doing these solo trips to fill up our cups and then we're doing ones together because we're fortunate enough to have our parents look after our kids when we can do that and we sort of got to a point where we're like financially it's not 
viable to go overseas with our kids right now because they all don't truly not care, but they don't mind. They they're happy to yeah. go camping, yeah. and we financially just cannot afford a family of five to go here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. So there will be a time where we pick, like at the end of the year, we'll go to Fiji together. That that's yeah. our thing. But like, if I had another child, I don't think that we would have an overseas trip. Like it's just it, it's that one more person, that one more plate, and it does. Everything just starts And look, of course, up. if we had a fourth and went for a fourth, we'd love the fourth, you know, your heart just continues to grow and we would be obsessed with it and we would make it work. But right now I'm like, I feel like this is our edge of like logic. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, like but, this and is- that, And that this would is- like, if, if that was what you wanted to do, then you more so have to come to terms with the things that you won't be doing and be okay with that. Yeah. But I think too, it's like you need to understand yourself and what your boundaries are the things that you don't want to do. Yeah. So say, for example, for you, if overseas holiday is a huge priority for you every year, then that's like, you know, a boundary that you don't sort of want to let go of. That's so, that's, you know, for you. Whereas if someone loves traveling Australia only and they love van life and they want to have four kids, like hats off to you, but you do have to, answer your own questions within that and it's like you know i just feel real lucky that we're both on the same page yeah, yeah. and imagine not being like a lot there's a lot of people you that learned that, and yeah. you found that really hard well, yeah that's fucking right it was bloody you like imagine that oh yeah i went through that oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i blanked it out yeah. <laughs> didn't end up that well for me but we're getting through it yeah. <laughs> now soph yes have you recovered this time round Spiritually, mentally, <laughs> physically. I don't know, that was the question. Well, if you mean physically, yes, I physically feel better than I did when I was pregnant. When I was pregnant, I felt like I had a prolapse and that is no longer the case. Good. We've had sex a couple of times and that has felt normal. Has normal? it has mm. it felt good for you, mm. Nick? That's like, can you give it no, some, I mean, I like, some yeah. fucking commitment? I mean, Pearl was asleep, so it was goes, very oh. quick, but uh yeah. Yeah. And, um, no, it does for sure, yeah. Um, I actually laughed. Someone wrote in saying that Beyond the Bump automatically connected to the car when their husband was in it and it was right at the birth story when I said that I'd got a stitch next to my clit and that Nick was going off for a vasectomy and I was like, oh, well, um, report back to him that the clit still works. <laughs> 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 it works fine and Nick hasn't booked him for a vasectomy yet but he is still try. going. I actually, in my defence, I was going to book it in Two on the second week, I rang up. They said I had this day available. Yes, it was too I went soon. To book it in, and so it's like it's too soon. I was like, we're literally chilling at home. It's the best time. It's true to do it. And I'm okay. I'm ready for you to book it in. Again. Harry, Harry yeah. did it, and he drove himself there and back, and then he just needed some deep emotional support yeah. for that week going back. This might be too much of a tangent, but mm. I had like probably fifty percent of people that I mentioned it to mentioned something about testosterone. Mm. And then I've heard like two separate ways, one where they like cut it but and then leave it and one where they tie it or something. He yeah. had his tied and you can feel the knot. Yeah. I think we need to do an episode on the sectors yeah. and I'll you and Harry to, can talk about your yeah, experience. You well, about I was actually, I'm keen to get it regardless, but I was actually thinking I should go and get like my, I don't know if you can, you, can you get testosterone tested? Yeah. And can you get it your like testes bef- tested? Before and after, it'd be interesting just to see. Yeah. Sure. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, I will admit 
and he concurs. He cries every day now. No. <laughs> it's fine yeah. for men to no, cry. Like, no, it is. I'm, you know. <laughs> no, this could be too much, so we'll just see. Yeah. But there's a lot less. It's like he's not shooting blanks, but there's not a lot of things coming out anymore. So that's convenient or not? Well, like, it, is that a positive or a negative? Jazz loves getting. Yeah, yeah. So jazz. jazz. <laughs> Why are you bringing jazz into this? Jazz, yeah. Do you, mate? <laughs> Jade loves getting covered in sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she's Her pearl <laughs> necklace is a little on the oh, cheaper yeah. side nowadays. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. No, just- but that was Nick's concern. When I used to talk to him about getting a vasectomy, he thought yeah. that nothing comes out any longer. And I'm like, I'm not asking you to go get a procedure that means that you just huff out like dust afterwards. Like there's still fluid that comes out. There's just no sperm in it. Correct, but it's like clear. It's not like the spermy. It's Mm. it's not as white. No, but it can fill up your mouth if you (laughs) wait a few days. No, I can't remember yes. what it feels like in your yeah, mouth Jada anyway. Put the video up. Yeah. How are you feeling? Sorry. <laughs> Spit or swallow. Yeah. So sorry. How are you feeling about your postpartum body? You're looking great. Are you feeling great? Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be good and bad days. Generally, I would say I'm really good. I respect the shit out of my body that it grew birth fed three children but you can have that and still be confronted by change at the same time like two things can be true and some days that is more daunting or more obvious than other days quite interesting I'm not sure if anyone else has had this but I have more stretch marks now than I did when I was pregnant that makes sense. It's kind of like as it's, it's gone go down, yeah. like down the bottom, I have quite a lot of stretch marks, which I'm fine with, but they still just take a little bit to get used to. Used to. Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm really proud. I'm not at a place of like complete self-love, but I'm very self-accepting. And yeah, I would say my number one tip, the day that really turned a corner for me was when I was like, even though your body is changing and it's going to continue to change, go and buy a pair mm. of bloody jeans. I was like, if I have one more internal tantrum in this wardrobe, you know, I'm standing in this wardrobe full of clothes and I have nothing to wear and I'm cursing and making myself feel bad about something that I should not be feeling bad about. Who cares if the jeans only fit you for a month or who cares if the jeans then fit you forever? Buy the jeans. You can resell them. You can give them to a mate. I promise you it is worth how good it feels to have, or not even jeans, whatever pants you Mm. choose to wear. But it makes the world of difference when you just have a couple of things that fit you and move the other shit that maybe you'll fit into one day or maybe you'll never fit into again Mm. out of like the first part of your wardrobe that you look at, whether that be a bottom drawer, whether that be another cupboard, whether that be to the side, stop looking at it thinking, oh, maybe I fit back into it now and then putting Mm. it on and not being able to get it past your knees. Like just move it aside. It's not important. That is the one thing. Thing, and it's still to this day that it happens is it irritates me more than anything on the internet is when people gloat about being able to fit back into their jeans postpartum because I don't know what they're trying to achieve by telling 
people that they can do it. Mm. But what it is actually subconsciously doing to the mothers, majority who Mm. cannot fit into Mm. their genes Mm. is so detrimental that it's just like, I don't know, like if that makes you feel good that people are feeling bad or it makes you feel so like why we need to think, why does it feel so and, good? And so to much of it maybe doesn't even come you- back to weight. Like even if you, you know, did everything in the world to lose weight after you had your baby, like your hips have changed. You're, there's so many p- more parts of you that have changed than just weight. So it's not even it's not even a marker of any kind of success. It's just mm. cool. And I have a hack. I size up in everything and I have for about two years and I always feel comfortable because everything is always fitting and usually in a a female cycle, you're going to bloat for a a week and then you're going to feel quite, you know, good for a week. And then the other week you'll feel, I don't know, swollen and all of that. If I go a size up in everything, and I mean, obviously everybody's different. I dress quite oversized anyway, but I don't ever get irritated because I'm like, it's either a it bit fits loose your cycle or around. it's big. Yeah. I did go shopping for some bathers to take away on How'd holidays. Uh, look, I'm pretty, like, it's, that's a confronting trip when you're like, I'm trying on yeah. eight different pairs of bathers. It's just me and a mirror. I, so I had this identity crisis because I felt the most comfortable in the one pieces that had like full coverage. But then I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, I don't look like me. That's not something I would normally wear. But then anything skimpier, I didn't feel confident in. And so I do feel like sometimes as a mum, you find that where you're not as comfortable in the things that you feel like make you look more like you. And that's something that you've got to overcome. So anyway, end of the day, I bought a bikini that was very high-waisted bottoms. It was a happy medium. But yeah, it's always daunting going for that first bathers shop or going for that first jeans shop, I think. And I just want to add also that I found using a sarong was mm. a really good confidence booster. Like mm. I don't I don't usually I'm a bit funny about my tummy area just because that's how I am. But whenever I put on a sarong over my yeah. swimwear, it just it changes the look. It makes me feel really good about myself. So there's always like accessories. And it can be used as a swaddle for the oh, baby, a blanket for the baby, yes. a cover up for the baby, wipe the spew off your your shoulder with it it's so <laughs> versatile i think too for that first 12 weeks like we did a postpartum series on um recipes and the focus of that was like not that i'm a nutritionist or anything but was on nourishing food yeah and don't you think there's such a thing of like if say your goal is to go get back into those genes like you know you should be trying to support yourself while you're not sleeping feeding a baby emotionally probably in like a pretty turbocharged time like mm. having you know, say like a weight loss goal, I don't think is going to serve serve you. It's It should be more like focusing on healing and nourishing and, yeah, that's my two cents. I couldn't agree more. And also just yeah. never compare yourself to anyone. I mean, we've said this before, Jade, that you found that whenever you breastfed, you really held weight, whereas I find that breastfeeding, mm. like even when I don't do anything else, 
I lose weight. And so it's it's never a marker of any form of success. And sometimes people that are the smallest after having a baby, sometimes it's because they're severely depressed or, or really struggling. So it's never, I mean, pregnant or not pregnant, weight is never a marker of any kind of happiness or success anyway. Absolutely not. Now, you did do a reel on Beyond the Bump about this, but can you, for the people that have not seen that, what baby items could you not live without? Okay. So uh, yeah, I did. Let me try and remember. My top five were, and I forgot one. So it's going to be top six, a baby lounger. All three times I've found this, I do want to say, because I had a few people messaging me, just it's not recommended for babies to have unsupervised sleeps in them. So I do want to say that, but I've loved lounges. It's something that you can pop them in, be hands-free for a second. They feel cozy and held. We took it with us when we went to Melbourne and Sydney because it was just something that felt comfy, you know, even when you're in a hotel room or whatever where it's not very cozy. Baby carrier. I used a baby dink this time. It feels and looks like a wrap carrier, but you just put it on as a t-shirt. I actually found this because they sponsored the podcast, but it's so handy, especially when you've got other kids and your hands are always full. Instead of having to worry about wrapping it correctly, you just slide it over your head and Genius. Uh, and Pearl has had some of her longest naps ever in it. She loves it. Other newborn essentials like for the baby, obviously onesies that have got double zips yes. rather than buttons. I love our bassinet. I've never tried a snooze, so I can't compare, but we have a bed nest co-sleeper, which you can pull the sides down. So, you know, you're not getting up and down as much. You can just pop the side down, grab the baby out. And I have been working with beyond by baby love but honestly this is the first time I have used their nappies and we have barely had any leaks and she can wear it all night without changing it obviously she doesn't do a poo I don't just let her chill in her poo I don't know she's but third child. sometimes third child yeah <laughs> she'll be right but have loved those nappies absolutely loved them but they're the ones for the baby for the mum if you're breastfeeding, I would say I have loved the milk leak-proof bras because I'm terrible at remembering to have breast pads. So often I yell out to Nick just as Pearl's about to start feeding and I'm like, throw me a breast pad, I'm about to leak everywhere. Um, in saying that, I have used for the first time this time the Haka Ladybug, which is a letdown catcher and you can pop it in your bra without doing any suction. So if you have issues with oversupply or you're worried that your milk is still settling in, it's not going to impact the amount of milk you produce. It will just catch your letdown. And I stocked my freezer with milk from that in those first kind of couple of months because I do have a lot of letdown. Disposable underwear for the mum. So nappies, diapers for the mum. And then I moved on to like moddy body leak proof underwear afterwards. That helped me feel like a bit more normal and a bit more back to myself while still feeling really secure. And the other thing that you mentioned in this episode, which I agree when you've got more than one child and you're doing bath time on your own, are those... Bath support. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Which one do you have? I had a bigger version of what you've got. but I can't remember. Yet. I got it from the memo. I can't remember what brand it is, but yeah, have found that really handy. And the girls think it's so special that she's in there yeah. with them, but you don't have to hold her and break your back. I think they were the main things. And a pair of pants that fit you. Is there anything you wish you'd done differently for her newborn dates, guys? I don't think so. 
No, it's like it's so individual the experience. So yeah, you take it as it comes, and when something maybe doesn't go the way that you expected, yeah, you can have a conversation and readjust. Mm. That's what I feel like we have done really well. Is certain things haven't worked that we tried. Like even I remember thinking we were going to do more of this, but one of the nights I offered to take Pearl and bring her in for feeds, and it just didn't. Yeah, it didn't work that well. What? I thought that was great. No, it was great for you that night, but that didn't like, I thought we were going to do them more regularly, but in terms of like logistically and with how tired we were at the time, like it just busted me. I do think yeah. that is a great tool if you're at your wit's end and you are sleeping in separate beds that every now and again I, yeah, Pearl just slept in Nick's room and then he would bring her to me just for the feed so I wouldn't have to listen for the settles and all of that kind of thing. But I do think if we'd done it too often, it would have just led to both of us being absolutely fried. For me personally, I find it really hard to go back to sleep. So I would spend the time, she'd wake up, take her in. But I also found the thing that actually really cooked me by doing that was I didn't feel like I'd spent the time with her where I had the intuition as to whether she needed a feed yeah. or dummy or back to sleep. Yeah. So I, one of them, I think it was from like 3 a.m. And then I'd been awake for hours putting the dummy back in and whatever and rocking her because I was like, I don't want to take her in and kind of like feel like I've failed, yeah. which is my own shit or whatever. But yeah. And then once it, after a couple of hours, I was like, all right, this is fucked. I have to take <laughs> her in for a feed. But um, yeah, that... I think because I didn't have that intuition, it was much harder for me than I expected and I didn't have the option of putting her on the boob and I didn't want to wake so far. So, like, I got to the end of the night and I was like, I'm so <laughs> caught, you know, and I couldn't get back to sleep. Yeah. And then the day started. So, um, But so, every now and again, it's a good option. Yeah, but that's, I'm just using that as an example as to, like, one of the things that you, you're trying to help but then you have to be honest if it if it isn't working. So... Totally. I would but say, as, as we said before, like so much of it is if it's working, go with that. And then when it's not working, change. Trial and error. Like, you know, every baby is different, even within the same family. So just trial and error. Don't get too set on, oh, I thought I was going to do this like that. Like, even this time, I thought, oh, maybe I'll co sleep with, you know, when I was pregnant, I was like, maybe I'll co-sleep with this baby because even though we sleep trained the other two, they inevitably ended up in our bed when they were two years old. So may as well just co-sleep from the start. And anytime I have her in my bed, I can't sleep. And so I'm Mm. like, that's just, I'm happy to sleep with toddlers, happy with an asterisk next to it. But I I can't do co-sleeping with babies because I can't sleep. But for other people, they love it. Mm. So you just got to try and do what works for you. Well, legends, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having us on your podcast. It's been a pleasure, (laughs) absolute pleasure. No, I really appreciate it. And um, I'm sure the people that wrote in all the questions are happy with your answers. And if they're not, good Good on on (laughs) you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.